Do you have anything funny for a cold open this week? Are you in air conditioning right now? Yes. Okay. Well, you can <laughs> suck a satchel of Richards. <laughs> I stole that from someone. <laughs> Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, uh, the podcast where I and Ellen Marsh tell the stories of missing people, girl, by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. I mean, guys, buckle up. I know. (laughs) But wait, I know. I know this has been really hard on you. We've been going back and forth all morning. Neither one of us can believe this episode. But before we get to it, you guys, two things. Join the Facebook group. Girl, what is it called? It's called You Know How to Google the Facebook group, and the show is called Obsessed with Disappeared, (laughs) so figure it out. That's what the Facebook group is called, Patrick. You guys, this is how she gets. You guys, I tried to warn you. I tried to warn you. <laughs> it's called they know how to use the search feature. That's what it's called. Um, also, uh, follow us on Instagram because what happens every Friday night, girl? Every Friday night we go live. Friday night live at 6 p.m. Eastern. We talk about the episode that we just had. We talk about life. We talk about other true crime. Yeah. Patrick screams a lot. I roll my eyes a lot. And a lot of times Daisy brings her goddamn hamster <laughs> And it, I, she shows her hamster on the screen, you guys, and I have, I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. But wait, wait, what's the hamster's name? Daisy Speedy. Daisy Speedy. I don't get it. I don't get it. She's a narcissist. She's like, she's like naming animals after herself. You guys, this is my six-year-old daughter. In case you don't know who the hell we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. You know what I want to name it? Daisy. Wait, one more thing, girl. Before we get into this episode, you have an update to the Michelle McMullen episode. Right. So Michelle McMullen was the woman who went missing, we learned, by choice. She ran away because she had stolen some money from the church, and she ended up getting caught, and and you have an update. Right. So with the help of a wonderful listener by the name of Kim Cantu, we were able to find Michelle And we reached out to her on Facebook. She's since changed her name, which obviously I won't, you know, reveal to uh, protect her privacy. Her son, Jaden, who she sadly left, is uh, graduated high school. But they're like reunited, right? They're like a family now. They're reunited. She's back in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And she also has a daughter, you guys. But the biggest thing that we found out is that she's actually studying criminal justice. You guys had like a legit back and forth, right? Yeah, we spoke on Facebook and I, of course, asked her to come on the show. I wanted to give her a chance to tell us her side of the story, to explain anything that wasn't covered in the documentary. She was very lovely. She graciously thanked me for reaching out and for wanting to know more about her side and happy that we wanted to hear from her. She graciously declined and said she wasn't ready to tell her story quite yet, but she was sort of like gathering her thoughts and ideas on that and wasn't sure what platform, but she did tell me that there were some details that were wrong in the documentary. And I'm here for it, guys. I'm here for her information. I'm here for her side of the story. And I hope that she gets to speak out. I would love for us to give her that platform to do it. But either way, um, she is healthy. And it seems like she, you know, used that time and that difficult part of her life to learn about the justice system and to get a degree in it. So I honestly wish her nothing but the best. All right, you guys, with all of that said, let's get into Disappeared episode 11, When the Music Stopped, which tells the story of the disappearance of John Spira. His girlfriend 
is calling. Where are you? Where are you? And the calls are getting closer and closer together. She's getting more and more frantic. There's a phrase about like the whole world crashing down around you. When John Spira, a beloved local blues musician, fails to show up at a gig, his friends and family go on high alert. I asked the band leader, when's the last time you talked to him? And I knew that, that if he hadn't talked to Rich even, that there was something like terribly desperately wrong. But as the search for Spira begins, investigators quickly find themselves at a loss. No clues that uh, have conclusively pointed us in one direction over another direction. And that is probably one of the most frustrating parts of all of this. This was without one trace of evidence. One trace of evidence. I mean, he was lifted out of the earth. And that's what scares me the most. Girl, you, is there anything you want to say at the top? I know this was a tough one for you. No, no. We got to dive in. There's so much. I don't even know if we have enough time during this recording episode. We might have to go into the hours of the night. All I'm saying is that, and I said this to you separately, this is the first episode that I really feel like there was a lot that they knew that they weren't telling us. I agree. Yes. So heads up, guys. We're going to give a lot of information at the end of this episode, as we always do, that isn't covered in this. But that is just the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot of information. There's a lot of theories on this case. So, you know, hang on to your bootstraps, buckle up, let's go. <laughs> the day before he disappears, John Spira rolls through the door of Brian's char house. Known around town as Chicago Johnny, he's a regular at the restaurant. All right, so it's Thursday, February 22nd, 2007, 9 o'clock. We meet this guy, John Spira. They tell us that he's known around town. He lives in Chicago, and he's known around Chicago as Chicago Johnny, to which I said, there's got to be like 40,000 of those guys. Though, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to call you Midtown Patty. Right. <laughs> Could you imagine someone calling you Patty? Midtown Patty, though, I will take it. Somebody make me a T-shirt. <laughs> but, like, they really refer to him as Chicago Johnny. So it's the day before this guy is going to go missing and he is like nine o'clock at night rolling into his local haunt it's a restaurant called what's it called brian's char house and we meet brian oh john and i we've known each other for 20 years first when i opened he was here every night he will leave from work and stop here then you go home and he's telling us john came in every night he was a regular his office was across the street from the place it's one of those places chicago is the goddamn best yeah it's one of those places where like this guy john had his own stool in what they call the family section right and i kind of like vacillate between thinking that's like really cool or like really lame i totally agree i can't decide if that's so cool because like i never ever had like you know a cheers or a regal beagle or central perk or a peach pit or a mose or a max i was like if you forget the peach pit i'm gonna be so mad so he's got a local so we have a lot of talking heads in this episode guys so yeah we meet stephanie is his sister and we meet renata his girlfriend there were people that we knew that were playing at brian's trial house on thursday so i got there i think even like 30 or 11 o'clock by the time I got there. I love her. I think she's great. She's like, she's one of those like citizen detectives basically, but she really, really goes through it in this. Like she is basically hysterical the whole time. And I'm not calling her a a hashtag hysterical woman. Like I'm just saying that she's very, this is a very emotional interview for her. Can you imagine if you went missing and I had to give an interview? I'd be like, but I loved her. (laughs) 
they, they would be interviewing you and they're like, okay, we can't use any of this footage. No. Wait, wait, I have more to say. Okay, thank you, Patrick. Yeah, so just delete it and record over it. You know how they do for security cameras? Just record over it. Pretend this is a gas station and someone got murdered here 15 minutes ago. Record over it. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Hines. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, did you guys say Midtown Patty was coming in for an interview today? Because she's a mess. <laughs> Midtown Patty. I'm going to call you that. So it's Thursday night and John is set to finalize his divorce the next day. When Spira's girlfriend, Renata, meets him at the char house, she notices he is unusually stressed. I put all of his stress down to the fact that his divorce was supposed to be finalized that Friday. I have a couple things to say about this. We find out that this divorce has gone on for two years. Who drags out a divorce that long? I really, I don't understand. I mean, my divorce took 18 months. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, it's a... (laughs) Oh, so emotional basket cases drag it out that long. Got it. Great. Thank you for the concise answer. No, I mean, it's back and forth. It's like settling on lawyers. It's are we going to court? It's are we doing mediation? So a normal... I mean, listen, there's every... To each his own, everybody is different. But two years does sound like a long time. Mostly because we learned that they're still living in the same house. Also not weird. My ex-husband and I lived in the same house 45 days past our divorce date. Don't worry, I wasn't counting or anything. But <laughs> Listen, he's so hot, it would have been hard for me to give that up to even after the divorce. Do you think that's fun for me to hear? <laughs> I didn't say I liked him. I'm just saying things can be tricky. They were fighting over the house. You know, you don't have anywhere to go. You you might have. Mu- Do you think that's fun for me to hear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying divorces are tricky to navigate. So while that did. Do you remember? Hang on. Just one more question. One more question. Because I actually married you and your ex-husband. You did. I was actually like the person who stood there. So maybe you should have done a better job. No. Let me tell you what I was thinking the whole time. This is going to be better the next time around. <laughs> you know what? I've been, for the next one, I'm going to write a much better ceremony. Yeah. I knew that I really only needed a rough draft for this one. I can't wait for 2.0. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> if anybody's willing to take that on, God bless you. Okay. You'd sleep on this side of the house and she'd sleep on the exact other side of the house. I don't know how much dialogue they had, but my guess is it was pretty salty. I also love, we meet his brother, Tom, and like Tom is explaining to us the dynamics of John and his ex-wife still living together. He goes, I don't know how much dialogue they had, but it was pretty salty. (laughs) I actually love that adjective, salty. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And I honestly, like we learned that they're staying together for the house. These two don't have any kids together. Like they literally are like money pitting it. They're like that, that thing where they're like waiting for the other one to leave. So the one who stays gets the house. Guys, it's not worth it. They duct tape a line through the middle. Don't cross. Exactly. But listen, this is this is real. This happens. I actually don't think that that's ridiculous. Forty five days <laughs> past my divorce. <laughs> So now it's the next day. It's Friday, February 23rd, 2007. They say... For John Spira, the morning of Friday, February 23rd, 2007, starts with a familiar sound. The next morning starts with a familiar sound. I was like, oh, an alarm clock? A rooster? A dog barking? Sizzling eggs. I was like, wait, 
<laughs> we are going to learn later that John just loves the breakfast restaurant at the local airport, you guys. I think that was just setting up the fact that he is very much a creature of habit. I get it. But look, we learned that he his usual breakfast that they literally start making for him when they see him pull into the parking lot, fried eggs, hash browns, bacon, toast. Girlfriend Renata says, it was just the healthiest thing, you guys. It was full of protein. It said, that's the way John prepped for his day. I was like, that's the way John <laughs> preps for a heart attack. I know. Renata, sweetheart, it, that's not a high-protein breakfast. I'm just, <laughs> I know you've been through a lot today. And I actually wrote out, girl, don't come for her. She's had a hard day. But girl, that's not a lot of protein, girl. It's, it's not. But then I wrote, don't get me wrong, that shit looks delicious. It I've been does. craving breakfast food all day. It looks Those so hash good. Browns, I know. Oh, <laughs> eggs over medium? Oh, God. The way you like mash up the eggs to get the hash browns with the gooey and the and the and the potatoes. Come on, you guys. That's a love language. <laughs> that is a love language. But despite his routine meal, there's something else very unusual about this morning. He's about to enter into the final negotiations for his divorce with his wife, Suzanne. So this is the morning he's going to finalize his divorce with his wife, Suzanne. And they have to like, this is another one of those things where I could totally see you and your ex-husband doing this, where they have to take a call after breakfast with a lawyer to like make the final negotiations. And we learn that they do this with John somewhere downstairs and his soon-to-be ex-wife somewhere upstairs, where they're both on a fo- the same phone call with the lawyer. <laughs> It doesn't seem that weird to me. <laughs> so we get a little history on Suzanne and buckle up your bootstraps. Here we go. The couple had met in the early 1980s at a local blues house in Chicago. It was love at first sight. So we get this backstory, girl, and this shit is crazy. Right. I literally texted you this morning. Please tell me you've got more backstory to this backstory. Suzanne and John meet. They fall in love. They have a great relationship. They met at a blues bar, whatever that is. <laughs> and they have a great relationship. Suzanne has a daughter with, uh, uh, it's not John's son. So, Sorry. Suzanne has a daughter from a previous marriage. Can I speak? Sometimes you take the simplest concept and make it really complicated. (laughs) She just had a kid with somebody else, girl. That's all that happened. You literally had your eyes closed. You were trying to figure out how to explain it. You were really trying to figure out how you you were ever going to make the people understand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. All right, you guys, bear with me. Oh God! How do I? Oh, um. All right. No, it's important. They have to. <laughs> they have to know. <laughs> you had your eyes closed with your hand over your mouth. Look at my face. Look at my face. You're like, I'm so smart. This is a concept only I'm gonna understand. How? How do I explain it? Um. Oh God. <laughs> That got me good. Oh, that got me good. <laughs> it's, it's a stepdaughter. They seem like the perfect couple. But in 1995, a family tragedy shatters their world. So we find out in, you got to say it, girl, in 1995, they this is the thing that Disappeared loves to do. They love to drop these bombs on us. I know. It is such a left turn. In 1995, Spira's stepdaughter in New York kills her boyfriend during a heated argument. Now, 
Holy shit, that is a lot of bananas information. But you guys, what they mean to say is Suzanne's daughter. Like they say Spira's stepdaughter. I don't know why they do. I like I actually had to Google it. Like just say Suzanne's daughter. Right. Maybe they're just trying to keep it John centric. I don't know, but that that's it. They drop that bomb and then the sister Stephanie says, "Hold your scream, hold your scream." Yeah. Stephanie says, Something was different after that. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't know if it was connected or what. I just knew that something was different after that. You don't say. But, like, they give us no information on this murder. Did you goog? I googed it, you guys. So the thing is, Suzanne Spira is only listed with that last name. So I couldn't find her maiden name. I just know her daughter's name was Heather. That's all I could find. But we just know that the trial was in Buffalo. So Suzanne moved there for the trial. John kind of went back and forth as sort of a dutiful husband. Of course, what else do you do in a time like that? You know, set up an apartment for her and slowly over 12 years after that trial the relationship just deteriorated which the trauma that a family must go through in a and we don't know the facts of the case guys I'm gonna keep trying to research so hopefully we have an amendment to this but of course it deteriorated yeah we don't know if the daughter went to jail we don't know if the daughter was acquitted we, we know nothing so if anyone's got any information you guys hit our DMs and let us know what you know because this is insane now on the phone Separated by a single floor, John Spira is finally negotiating the end of his marriage. Both sides agree on the terms and set a date to sign the papers the following week to make it official. John Spira dabbled in a few business ventures. But his main focus is Universal Cable, an underground cabling company. So we're back to Chicago, like present day 2007. So John's like a blues guitarist at night, like for funsies. But his real regular job, he owns an underground cabling company, to which I wrote, wow, there really are all kinds of jobs out there. So many jobs. (laughs) Like there's a job for everything. What was that one, the guy with Michelle Whitaker? He was a, what was he? Oh, the, the one with the motorbike? He was a pipe fitter. I'm a midday pipe fitter on a leisurely cruise on my motorbike. I'm going to stop and ask the crazy girl some questions. Wait, wait. <laughs> motorbike? Was he on a motorbike? <laughs> was he? Oh, look at the chap on his motorbike. <laughs> he was a pipe fitter. I learned so much. Pipe fitters, <laughs> underground cabling. You can also own a copy center and religious bookstore all under the same roof. You guys, you could be anything you want. Anything you want. Believe in yourself. John leaves his home and heads to meet his friend to go over some work connected to John's underground cabling company. He was at a business meeting with me on the afternoon of February 23rd. He seemed very positive about everything pretty much uh, that day. Matter of fact, as as positive and upbeat as I have ever spoke to him. We meet his friend. We meet John's friend, Jim Emma. And they were at a meeting. This is like the day that he goes missing. So they're at a meeting that day. But one of the important things he tells us is that, you know, John was in a really good mood that day. His divorce was final, finally after two years. Like he can move on with his life. And then I have, and this guy Jim is a really good friend because he agrees to go watch John play 
LA like the next night. Right. Like he's like he agrees to go to his gig. They make plans to celebrate his divorce being final, which at first I was like, ugh, garbage. Then I was like, no, you know what? He's not celebrating his divorce. He's just celebrating the ordeal being over. And I was like, don't be so judgy. But you know, it was a stressful time and him and Jim the next night were gonna go out before his gig. Yeah, and then we get this thing where like that day John goes back to work. So then at like five o'clock he calls and this I thought this was kind of garbagey, but at five o'clock he calls Renata, his girlfriend, to see if she'll go have dinner with him. And she says no and he gets kind of mad about it. He said you want to get some dinner and when I told him I'd rather work and explained why he was a little upset. He tried to talk me out of it. So he was getting all pouty and a little upset at me. I said, well, you know, call somebody else and have dinner. I said, maybe, you know, I could join you later or, you know, whatever. I always love it when they reenact a conversation because she's like, well, I told him. I said, I, I just can't make it. I've got to work. And you know that, you know, it was like, can you just, no, I got to work. I'll see you tomorrow. Leave me alone. Bye. <laughs> Like, <laughs> totally, totally. But like, so he leaves work at five fifteen, and you guys, he's literally never seen again. And his gig, that his friend, that his really, really good friend, is going to come watch him perform, is the next day. Renata tries through the night to reach Spira, with no success. Couldn't get a hold of him that whole night. And I kept trying. I think I kept trying until almost midnight. We're back to Renata. And Renata's like, I didn't hear from him for the rest of the night. I thought he was going to call me and tell me where he was having dinner. And I'd come meet up with him. And then, like, he didn't. So I thought he was mad. And then I'm calling him through the night. And, like, there's no answer. Like, she's just like, whoa. He's really pissed at me for not being able to come have dinner with him. And she just, like, goes to bed having not heard from him since 5 o'clock. She was so heartbroken. And she says the next morning when she calls... It's going straight to voicemail. I thought, but he'd be having breakfast now. You know, even late breakfast and still no calls. And still the phone is off. So this is my favorite thing. She says, we see the timestamp at 7 a.m. And she's like, that's when I was trying to reach him. Like, he'd be having breakfast at that time. I mean, like, a late breakfast. And I was like, 7 a.m. is a late breakfast. This is my kind of guy. We got to find him. Um, And so she thought, you know, exactly what she thought going to bed last night. He's obviously upset. But you know what? I'm going to see him at the gig tonight. Also, Renata, if you are dating a guy who is so mad at you for having to prioritize your own shit over having dinner with him, girl, you're dating the wrong kind of guys. John is not that guy. He wasn't mad, you guys. He was missing. Right. But, like, she thinks that that's acceptable, and, my love, you need to reevaluate your dating choices. Absolutely. It's okay to put your work ahead of dinner, girl. So the way this day was supposed to go, remember, this is a Saturday now, was he was going to obviously have his protein-filled breakfast. He was going to (laughs) meet gym for dinner before the gig and then have the gig. So there are many things he has planned for this Saturday. So Renata gets to the gig. So he doesn't meet his friend Jim for dinner. And his friend Jim goes ahead to the gig. Renata goes ahead to the gig. Right away in the parking lot, she doesn't see Jim's car. I was there in time for the band to start playing and no truck. And I thought, okay, well, maybe he got into an accident. Something's wrong with the truck. So then maybe he got a ride with one of the guys. Oh, and that's like a heart dropping into your shoes. And so she's like, well, maybe he got a ride with someone else. She goes in and she like describes this thing of like the band had already started without him, to which I was like, oh, I would have been the grumpiest band leader. You know me, girl. You know that I'm like the world's most punctual person. And if people are not five minutes early, I'm mad about it. I know. I would have been very upset that he wasn't there. So the band starts playing and she has to like wait until the song is over 
to talk to the band leader and be like, have you heard from him? And he's like, no, girl. And this is where Renata becomes the only person who knows what's happening. Renata knows right away, you in danger, girl. And like, nobody believes her. I asked the band leader, when's the last time you talked to him? And I knew that, that if he hadn't talked to Rich even that there was something like terribly desperately wrong. Let's put a couple things in perspective. This would have been the first gig in 20 years John has missed. John's passion is guitar. His love is guitar. Apparently he was very good, very well respected. He was Chicago Johnny after all. I I mean, I'm telling you guys, like I'm an old school person like that too. I'm not calling out unless, you know, my legs are broken. You know, I once had the flu and I called it allergies. I was not (laughs) going to not go back on stage. You guys, uh, in the age of COVID-19, if you're feeling sick, please stay the fuck home and wear a mask. Thank you. Please stay home and wear the mask. Wear wear the mask. Wear all the masks. (laughs) However many masks you can find. Guys, another thing to note, there is a major snowstorm that was coming in that morning. So it had begun to snow and was starting to get really, really heavy that night. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. So we get John's backstory and he had a lifelong love of music. We get this note where somebody tells us that like when he was a kid, somebody gave him a transistor radio and he slept with it under his pillow. And I again said, aren't those from the 1700s? A transistor radio? Don't you have to crank that shit up? Doesn't it have like a wind-up thing? And it's not a gramophone, (laughs) but like, you know. You couldn't just get a Walkman and put the headphones on? No? (laughs) Gotta be a transistor? Okay. I'm not judging your childhood. Listen, I could tell you some shit about my childhood. That would sound really weird. Because you were super poor. I told you about the dumpster in our neighborhood. My sister's name is Becca. Yes. It said BFI on it, and kids used to say Becca's family inside. I know. I hate that story. (laughs) I think it's so funny. I really. I think it's so funny. I know. It's just, it just. Is kids are cruel. <laughs> okay, so we're back with Renata, who is starting to freak out because she can't find John. So she calls 911. I called 911 and they patched me through to the St. Charles Police Department. I asked them to check to make sure that there was nothing bad happening at his house. I described his truck. I said it should be in the driveway. So Renata is the only one that knows what's up right now. She calls the police station. Are you ready? Yeah. Everyone turn your volume on your headset or your speakers <laughs> down. And then uh, also after you hear this statement, if you feel like you want to punch through a wall, I suggest putting on an oven mitt before just yeah. to protect your hand. As we say on TCO, if you're driving, pull over. Just pull over, girl. They tell her she knows what's up. She knows this person is missing and nothing adds up. They tell her she can't file a missing persons report because she's not the next of kin. They gave me the paperwork. I filled out the missing persons report. I slid it back through the counter. They said, we can't take this from you. You're not next of kin. And I said, but, you know, what do you do in cases of emergency? And everybody around me was so calm. I mean, it's, it's like those thriller movies that you see where everybody's just trying to calm you down and tell you that it's you know, all in your mind. Because, guys, technically, he's still married. Because, remember, he went missing and he never signed those divorce papers on that Friday. Right. So she's not the next of kin. I mean, and that is just such a bullshit technicality. And when they call Suzanne, the ex-wife, and they're like, hey, girl, like, he hasn't been around for about 35 hours. People are freaking out and would like to file a missing person's report. She says, no, I don't think he's missing. She says, no. I mean, uh, 
she, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying if I was a bird, you'd know who I would shit on. Right. So they can't search without a police report, and they can't get a police report without the next of kin. Right. Renata takes the shit into her own hands. She's like, fine, I'm going to do my own investigation. She gets in her car. She gets her friend. They drive to John's office where, like, the friend, like, does the ten fingers thing. Right. And hoists her up, like, on a fence. Renata sees his truck. She hasn't seen him in almost two days. Her friend throws her over the fence, and Renata's, like, banging on the wa- on the windows. Like, she's trying to get into the truck. She's trying to get into the business. She, like, she takes us back to the cop. And now they've got like enough evidence to say we should start looking into this. But the wife is not ready to declare him missing. Right. So finally, on the Sunday, that is 48 hours after he's gone missing, they agreed to start the investigation at 9 p.m. We cut to the cops. and They're like, yeah, I mean, it's like almost two days in. I wish yeah. somebody had declared him missing before now. And Renata somewhere is like banging her head against a glass door. We were dealing with a time delay. Of course, he was last seen 637 o'clock at his office and we're getting involved in the investigation at 9 or 10 o'clock on Sunday evening, so we're dealing with more than two days. There are so many missteps, you guys. This just happens all the time. So they literally do everything that Renata did. They go to this business. They realize his cars are still there. So it's the first day that they're searching. It gets to be 4.30, and they're like, well, that was a, that was a long day. We're going to call this off for the night. Yeah. It's getting to be dusk. <laughs> Let's, I know this guy's been missing for 48 hours. I really wish somebody had noticed before now, but we're going to take the rest of the night off. Yeah. And we'll see you guys back here in the morning. But thank God we immediately right. jumped into action, though. <laughs> Woo-wee! At daybreak, officers begin to scour the area surrounding John Spira's business. It is isolated terrain made up of forest preserves and long stretches of ice-covered fields. So the next day is Monday, February 26th. We learned that they searched the vast area of woods and frozen fields around the office, to which I said, this would be a great opportunity for Ellen to say the word vast. <laughs> Girl, so the next day they searched the area of the woods and the frozen fields around the office. How would you characterize the size, for example? You know what? What? It is vast, <laughs> and I'm going to stand by that. The first time you said that on this podcast you went it was vast (laughs) like you basically had your eyes closed you go it was vast you guys wow (laughs) to generate more leads they conduct interviews with family and friends in hopes of finding clues the first step in the investigation was to talk to the people that he worked with uh, where he was last seen, his partner and his business, the people that worked for them, his wife. So the cops spend the whole like next day interviewing friends, family, coworkers. His day was normal as far as they can tell. But like while they're at his office, they ask the question like, remember, this all happened over a weekend. So the, the, the cops are like, when you guys got back to work on Monday, was anything missing? And they're like, now that you mention it, girl, they're asking actually was this huge roll of industrial plastic perfect for rolling up a body and concealing it and burying it in it was actually missing girl yes say more about that (laughs) yeah you know john goes missing and this enormous roll of industrial sized plastic go missing at the exact same time that is not a coincidence and the sister like looks me right in the eye and she's like girl literally what else would you do with that but bury a body plastic wrap big huge piece of plastic wrap and what else going to do with it and now it's gone um pretty coincidental you know I, and i told my dad and he said well there's no hope now so the family sort of mentally prepares that some kind of foul play has occurred they're actually very level-headed very what is the word i mean <laughs> i know that you're not i know that like words like level-headed are not words that you've heard to describe you very much so i understand why you wouldn't know a lot of synonyms for it 
Uh, I'm going to say calm. Uh, very, I'm going to say... They're very calm. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I'm, I'm trying to think of other words that don't describe you that apply here. Um... <laughs> Okay. So they go through his bank account, to which they say, you know, that's difficult work for investigators. They start going through bank accounts and retracing Spears' final steps. It's difficult work for investigators. That's your literal job is to investigate. It's like going to a barista and asking for coffee and then being like, ugh. That is difficult. No, my dude. That is your actual job. I'm telling you, the day that they went over this at P.I. Penny's School of Investigative Work, she was like, all right, today we're going to talk about looking at bank records. Now, you guys... Listen, not everybody is going to be cut out for this. Call the wife, order the takeout. We're going to be here for a while. And every brain surgeon who listens to our podcast is like, difficult work. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, you guys, you guys, if there is a single brain surgeon listening right now, (laughs) if we have managed to trick one brain surgeon into listening to this podcast, I need you to make yourself known. I really, (laughs) really need to make yourself known. Because honestly, when I heard that, I was like, that does sound hard. (laughs) Investigators begin to consider another possibility, that John might have disappeared on purpose. There's information, evidence that could take us in any one of two directions, foul play or uh, a willful disappearance. He's gone on his own and wants not to be found. We have to say here that this is one of those areas where I feel like we're not getting all the information that they know because the cops are saying like, yeah, he might have gone missing. He also might have left on purpose. And stay with me here because we actually have evidence to suggest that that is actually the case. We're not going to tell you what it is, but I'm just letting you know that it's a real possibility. Hold on to that because let's do that with all the extra stuff we found at the end because guys, there's a lot. So we now find out that John was in the armed forces. It is not in his nature to run away from anything, let alone responsibility. This is a trait that was instilled in him since his teenage years in the armed forces. My father and him had had many serious discussions about just what it was John was going to do. College was not for him. So we learned that like when he was growing up, he didn't want to go to college. And so his dad tells him he's got two choices, college or the army. And then he goes into the army. He like does what his dad wants him to do. He enlists and then he decides he wants to serve his country by driving tanks and potential war zones and in, for some reason the dad is infuriated about that and I just wrote this dad's a real piece of work it's so true real piece of work this dad but I guess guys this is where his love of tanks then transfers to his digging and cable company and I thought that was pretty cool like he like he's a guy that learned that he like loves working with like big pieces of machinery and equipment right and he like makes a career out of it dad right. he knew that when he was in the military he found something that piqued his interest and he brought it back into like the regular society and made a job out of it. So the family feels, I guess I'm I'm putting words in their mouth, but they feel super abandoned. Like the cops don't really seem to care about this case. They kind of half-ass it. Now, as police officials look into the possibility he may have left voluntarily, family members do not believe he would abandon the life he worked so hard to build. There is not a chance in hell that he voluntarily disappeared. Not a chance. So the family does what we've seen time and time again on their dime Uh, they kind of take matters into their own hands and they go and they're searching it seems a little bit desperate because it seems a little unfocused they go with those little metal things that people try and find you know it's called a metal detector sweetheart they've been around for a long time okay really (laughs) all right what does a pipe fitter do (laughs) 
Yeah. Touche. Yeah. But I was going to say, Sister Stephanie, like, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? This is literally words out of her mouth. She's like, I'm going to get a metal detector and I'm going to go find his shit. And we see her in the field and she's like, literally like, how do, how do you, how do you turn this on? Like, which is exactly what I would be doing. She's like, I don't really know how this works. And I basically feel like she's kicking it and like hitting it. She's like shaking it, trying to figure out how to turn on the, you guys, does anybody know how to turn on a metal detector? I mean, I don't know. I would think the power button, but I'm, I'm a crazy person. So. But they hire someone with echolocator equipment, someone with an area photography capabilities. They're searching bodies of water. And guys, this is all on their dime. How much do you think that costs? I mean, it looks so expensive. Absolutely. I mean, something like that, they probably drop tens of thousands of dollars for people Uh. with that kind of equipment. They find nothing. Through all the different searches, you try to come in and, and help out the families come up with a certain answer. And unfortunately, you don't always come up with the right answer or any answer at all. Some are left unresolved. Time is slipping away. Attention has gone away from the case. So this is where they decide to put up a banner of him. Girl, I'm going to need you to sit down for this part. I'm going to need you to really sit down. I'm glad to know that you're literally in a padded room. So the floor is yours, my love. So they put up a banner. The banner is enormous, you guys. It's five feet by 20 feet. It's fucking huge. Right. With the website, the number, the picture, they put it right by the business. So they'd say to us, and again, this detail feels like they there's so much more that they know that they're not saying. They say that they put it so that it's facing the business where he has a business partner, right? Remember, he was last seen at the business and the same time that he went missing, that huge piece of industrial roll a body up in it plastic also went missing. Right. So wh- I feel like we're being told that the family suspects the people that he worked with. Right. And guys, I'm going to spoiler alert this. There is someone who is very, very much a suspect by the family who is never mentioned in this documentary, and we will talk about it at the end. Oh my God. Did you not know this? I didn't know this. Well, I research. Um, <laughs> so they put up this big ass banner 24 hours later. What happens? It's fucking ripped down. It's fucking ripped down. <laughs> family members take it as a clear sign there is more to their brother's disappearance, that someone knows something. Jeez, we put up this banner, and suddenly. It's ripped apart. Oh, my Billy Smolinski's mother in I know. heaven. Oh, I know. it is ripped down, you guys. But you guys then, so they ripped this thing down. They put up another one. They, could you just imagine them being like, we're going to put up another one. It's going to be bigger. And they're hammering <laughs> it into the ground. And they're just like, it's going to be I know. bigger. <laughs> So they they put up another one overnight. Not only is it torn down, they tear down the banner and they torch the business. We put the banner up on Friday night and by Sunday, the banner's gone and the building's burned down. So very a strange coincidence. They torch the business, you guys. <laughs> hey, girl, it's been a while since you've had your business torched, huh? Patrick, I'm fine, okay? <laughs> I am fine. <laughs> Your head is in the gutter today. It must be my bathing suit cover-up. Okay, but wait. Did you catch the narrator's foreshadowing? No. Oh, this is my favorite part, you guys. The case that grew cold is about to become burning hot. The case that grew cold is about to become burning hot. And the thing is, you know that he was in the booth and he read the copy and he's so on our side. He read the copy and he like, and then they cut. And he's like, do I really have to say that? Say burning hot. It's 
foreshadowing, Stan. It's foreshadowing because they burned the place down. Guys, they say another thing that is just so crazy. They say, It is an incident family members feel they cannot ignore. When was the last time you ignored a fire? Your house is on fire. Nah, ignore it. Just ignore it. It'll be fine. Your car's on fire. Ignore it. It'll just ignore it. It was an incident the family could not. I hate everyone today. Okay, so we're back with the family, and remember, somebody just set John's business on fire, and it's up in flames, and you guys were making jokes about it, but of course we know this is, like, tragic and horrible. Remember, we're just trying to keep the story out there. we got to find this guy. My first thought was when I found out about the sign disappearing and then the fire breaking out, my first thought was somebody was angry enough to tear down the sign and set fire to it and somehow, oops, accidentally set fire to the building. So, like, the family is saying, like, this is really tragic, but at the same time, maybe this will be the thing that will reignite the case because the cops are going to have to look into this. This is obviously arson. And then we get, like, three minutes of the family being like, and then nothing. Like, the brother says they never got the arson report. He's told time and time again that arson investigations can go on for years. And the sister's like, nothing. We never heard anything about this. They just gave up looking for him. I don't understand how they can't figure out in a small building how a fire started, but they say they can't. So I don't know. I'm not an arson investigator, but it just seems too coincidental to be an accident. And no, I haven't gotten any answers and I don't expect to. And that's it, you guys. Like it just ends with them like basically all shrugging their shoulders being like, and I guess we'll just never know what happened. Yeah. And that's it. It's like no to be continued. Everyone, perfectly, everyone's that emoji where it's like this. The shrug emoji. I know. I know. I mean, we have an an ex-wife who isn't an ex-wife, never got the divorce, whose daughter killed somebody. This poor man goes missing. Nobody knows. Fires and actually no answers. But you know what? I'm going to say it. I think the cops were crappy. Yeah. They were crappy. They didn't jump into action. That ex-wife is a is a bitch. And I, I, <laughs> I hate that word. I never say that word. But she literally said, I don't think he's missing. Wait, so tell us the updates. Tell us what you learned. Okay. So, guys, there is a lot of contention between who the sisters and brothers really thought were suspects. It has to be said no suspect was ever taken into custody for this case. Wow. These are, yeah, these are all just feelings and things that people have. So something not covered in the documentary, shortly after John went missing, Suzanne, the ex-wife who wasn't actually an ex-wife, yeah. actually moved out of state and was never named a suspect. Um, they also found out... Guys, Renata was not his only girlfriend. <gasps> no! Yep, his dance card was full. He had other relationships and lovers. And once she found out, Renata took herself out of the narrative. Oh, Renata, no! So there were a lot of things. All to say there were a lot of things that we did not know about John. Now let's talk about the ex-wife. The sister, Stephanie, was convinced that she had something to do with it. Suzanne was actually found dead in her Orchard Park apartment October 30th, 2011. This is the ex-wife. Right, right, right. So I found I lo- I found her obituary, you guys, and her obituary states she was the wife of missing man John Spira, and it says the date she was found. She was actually referred to with John in the obituary, wow. which I thought was so weird. But her sister went on record saying, I'm sad that she's dead because she 
she's taken all the secrets with her that we will never know. Now, the person that was not mentioned in this documentary who is highly controversial is his former business partner, Dave Stubbin. He also impeded the investigation of police because he would not give them immediate access to the building. Oh. Yeah, and there is a video, if you guys want to find it on YouTube, in 2017, 10 years after he went missing, Crime Watch went to go speak to David Stubbin for any kind of information. Why are you covering your face already? This man does not want to answer any questions. The sheriff's office says you're not cooperating with the investigation. Why is that? He hid his head and (gasps) got into the car because he got all the insurance money from the fire. Wow. Rebuilt the factory and never used it again. It remained empty. It is just an empty building, essentially. He never was named a suspect, but he would not cooperate with law enforcement. But law enforcement didn't have enough evidence to have a warrant for his arrest or to even bring him in for questioning, even though the family kept insisting and insisting. Now, the last bit of information was the family was fighting for the police records for three Years. Wow. And they finally, by the state, were granted the police records. But as far as I could tell, they were never given to them. <gasps> so they were granted the records, but they were never handed over? They were never handed over. Oh, my God. So there's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of armchair experts, a lot of armchair detectives weighing in on this case. But this is probably the least amount of resolution we've ever seen because there wasn't even a suspect. Girl, I have one last question for you. Yeah. Where the hell is he? Where is he? Uh... But guys, if you have any information, there are Facebook pages. There's a Facebook page, a John Spira missing Facebook page. There is a website. There is a ton of information on this case. I just think it is such an open case and it's unfortunately cold. Um, and that's why we love doing this is to bring these old cases sort of back into the conversation again. You guys, girl, episode, what What even number was this? Episode 10? 62. I don't know. <laughs> you guys, we love you so much. Look, join the Facebook group. We have over 3,000 people in our Facebook group now. It's growing and growing. It's super fun. We're hanging out. We're having a good time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an attempt at it. Oh. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. You. Did you, get a, did you get a degree in musical theater? <laughs> Look at you. Girl, tell them about the um, the Instagram situation. Yes, we're at The Disappeared Pod on Instagram. We love you guys. We love interacting with you. We love your comments. We love your DMs. We love your thoughts and ideas. So please always feel free to message us. Also, tell them about Friday Night Live. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> I need you to take pop a handful of Xanax. <laughs> Every Friday night, we go live at 6 p.m. We talk about the episode. We talk about our lives. We answer your question. It's 6 p.m. Eastern time every Friday night. Friday night live. We love it. We have a blast. We hang out for half an hour. Come join us. Also, you guys, tell your friends about us. Why not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 
while we're while we're doing that, you guys review us on iTunes. I know not everybody uses iTunes. If you, there are other places you can review us, but it really makes a difference on iTunes if you rate us and write like a one sentence review, just saying that you really like us. It bumps us up a little bit on the algorithm. It helps people find us. We're loving growing this audience, and we love you guys. We love you guys. You guys are so much fun. You can find Patrick at Patrick Hines underscore. He's the verified one. Yeah. I am sadly not. That's true. It's fine. Yeah, you can find Ellen at Ellen Marsh on Twitter and Instagram. You guys, we are edited by Henry Lavoie. Girl, you got your work cut out for you this I am week. so sorry. <laughs> oh, wait. Also, Patrick, I want to tell you and the world, I'm on TikTok. Well, we'll see how long we get to keep that app in this country. It's not going great for you, girl. Is it not? <laughs> Do I need to Google something? Who knows? Something is going on. I don't know what's happening. All right. You're on TikTok. You've got a lot of followers on TikTok. Your TikToks are really good. <gasps> You're so sweet. You know what? <laughs> Honestly, though, what else am I going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> Last thing, you guys, you can watch all episodes of Disappeared on ID Go. The first season is available for free. Watch along with us. It's bananas. And we love you. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you on Friday for Friday Night Live on, on Instagram. Bye, guys. We love you so much. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> can I call you, like, Jersey Ellen? <laughs> that doesn't have a ring. That doesn't That doesn't really have a ring. New Jersey City Ellen. <laughs> No. I feel for them. Listen, when I was living with my ex-husband, it was essentially like me competing in a one-woman eye-roll Olympics all day, every day. So, Like the breakfast he just consumed? Full of sodium, you guys. Very salty. <laughs> like the breakfast he consumed. <laughs> and buckle up your bootstraps. Here we go. Why don't you say hold on to your butts anymore? That's my favorite thing you ever said. Hold on to your butts? You actually said this once on this podcast, and I've said it every day since. Hold on to your butts, you guys. Strap. Strap it. Oh, what's a good one? I don't know. <laughs> Why does everything go back to boobs? <laughs> I just say, strap down your titties, ladies. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> oh, we can't record on a Saturday. I know. Mark Edwalds, and there is no other way to describe him. Yeah. He looks, he looks, feels, and talks like a ball sack. Um, <laughs> Strap down your titties. Listen, ladies, strap down your titties. It's gonna what? Be a, it's gonna... That would be hard for you, I bet. Yeah, I mean they're they're great. I, I mean, I just my goal by the end of this episode is to really, really land a boyfriend. Right. That's my goal. <laughs> oh god, that was so funny. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this recording is gonna be so boring. Oh, I'm sorry, Henry. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I have a stuffy nose now because I'm crying. <laughs> How? I don't know. It's like, maybe we can put something on the website where we can draw a map. or like. Oh. Patrick, stop <laughs> it. Oh, I got, wait, I got to take off my dress. I'm too hot. Hold on. <sighs> All right. Okay. All right. Pull yourself to fucking together. Okay. <laughs> okay. Girl, how many times have you spent your days begging your friends to come see your shit? Yeah, about as many as you do when you're like, are you coming to my live show? Are you coming to my live show? Are you coming like that? Oh, it's actually a little bit different because our live shows are pretty much sold out in a day. So like I mean, you actually, it's, it's more me asking if you'd like a comp. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. You know what? what? You know what? Don't what? come for me unless I send for you. Okay? <laughs> okay? Do you, are, you, are you clear? Yeah. Whoa. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, thank so- you for clearing. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs>